ESPN Kansas City is KCTE Independence and K233DM Raytown. 1510 AM, 94.5 FM. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM at 94.5 FM. Another day, another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host and producer today, Jack Johnson. Well, a little bit of college hoops talk today, a little bit of baseball talk today, and a little bit of NFL hypotheticals coming your way on the show. Uh, of course, it'll just be me uh, here in the saddle, running the board here, talking into the mic. So if anything happens, anything goes south, I uh, just know we'll always uh, be working through it right here on ESPN Kansas City. To kick off today's show, I wanted to do a little bit of a breakdown of the upcoming game tomorrow in Lawrence, uh, KU Texas Brawl that you can listen to right over on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And I've got some audio uh, to open up the show with. We're going to hear from Bill Self and K.J. Adams today. But before we get into that, uh, I want to look at this game, what it means for Kansas, how you can attack it, how how you can approach it. And from what you're going to hear Bill Self say uh, in this 10-minute audio clip, Uh, if you miss this on your timeline feed yesterday or you didn't hear it from somebody else. Kevin McCuller has not practiced this week. Uh, this is coming after him playing basically the entire game against Oklahoma. I wouldn't say maybe entirely. Uh, the majority of the game against Oklahoma on Saturday, and I would have said you know, back then a very, very important game for Kansas. Maybe not in the end good enough to win a Big 12 title because of that win, now, Kansas has buried itself pretty good with losses to UCF, losses to West Virginia, losses to, to Kansas State. There have been some really bad losses on the schedule uh, for this Kansas team. So they've got nobody to blame but themselves. However, I thought about this before the Oklahoma game. And with Kevin McCuller battling this bone bruise, battling this this knee injury, where apparently the swelling just can't go down, I asked myself, what is more important for this Kansas team? Is it winning the Big 12? Is it winning the Big 12 tournament? Or is it making it further in the NCAA tournament? Well, that's a no-brainer, of course, right? It's more of a rhetorical question. (laughs) We know the right answer there. They would absolutely take going deeper in the NCAA tournament than winning a regular season title. Now, right now they still have a chance to do that. In fact, Kansas could jump into second place um, depending on what Iowa State and Houston do over the the next few days. Houston, by the way, has to go to Waco tomorrow morning and take on the Bears who are right behind Kansas in the standings. In fact, they're tied uh, both at 8-5. and So if Kansas wins and Baylor wins – all of a sudden, the Jayhawks are one game back of Houston. It still feels like the Jayhawks are going to have to win out uh, to win the Big 12 and grab a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But crazier things have happened. Back to the point of McCuller, though, and why I wanted to go off on that tangent a bit. 
I feel like Kansas at this point in time is good enough to win the remaining games at home without Kevin McCuller. Uh, there's not really a need uh, to put Kevin McCuller out there tomorrow against Texas. Uh, it's not really that necessary to play him against BYU. It's not really that necessary to play him against Kansas State, in my opinion. However, you can gauge how these next two games go, see what Houston and Iowa State are doing, and then make your determination for that game in Waco against Baylor. Because I can tell you right now with confidence, Kansas cannot beat Baylor or Houston on the road without Kevin McCuller. It will not happen. It would take an all-time awful performance, it feels like, from both of those squads. And the matchups, I don't favor Kansas there. Those are two incredibly physical teams, and for a Kansas team with a lack of a bench, a lack of depth, that's a bad matchup. Bad matchup all the way around. So I get back to this point of how you handle his injury and why I think it's alarming. Right, Kevin McCuller is not getting healthier right now. He was healthy enough to play against Oklahoma, and now there's been this setback. Uh, well, he's not practicing, and Bill Self, as you're going to hear in this audio clip, he doesn't know when Kevin McCuller is, is, or his availability is going to be. He doesn't know if he's going to play on Saturday. And with the quick turnaround, uh, maybe you just rest him for both of these games. And if you get out with two wins, maybe then he's at 100%, and you can reevaluate before your Saturday game, next Saturday game, against the Baylor Bears. Because at that point, you'd be 22-6 and six and 10-5 and five in conference play and still have a very good chance over those final three games to make something happen. Because I do think it's not as easy uh, as my first question of what would you rather do, win the Big 12 or go far in the NCAA tournament. A part of going far in the NCAA tournament is making sure you set yourself up for the best possible bracket, the best possible region. A lot of that is up to chance. A lot of that is all odds. But if Kansas grabs the one seat, Let's say Kevin McCuller plays on Saturday. Let's say he plays on Tuesday and the rest of the way. And you get into the NCAA tournament with a Kevin McCuller at 65%. Does it matter if KU is a one or a two seed? I really don't think it does. Because you're not going far if Kevin McCuller's not healthy. We saw what this team looked like both against Baylor and Texas Tech without Kevin McCuller. Baylor, they were able to squeak by. It just wasn't pretty. Against Texas Tech, it was the worst game of the year, one of the worst games in the Bill Self era. They get a physical and fast team, Kansas will be doomed. And that's why I think it's tough to make this decision right now because it is a bone bruise, I think. If this was a ligament injury or it was a tendon injury, I think it'd be a no-brainer. But to me, it has to be pain tolerance. It has to be pain tolerance when it's a bone bruise. And if he can't move that well... Well, then he's not going to be that effective. And let's all be very honest here. Kevin McCuller was not great against Oklahoma. Now, they won that game, but I think just having him out there allowed the offense to open up a little bit. I just think you have to rest him as many times as you can. This reminds me a lot, not the same player, but a situation when, you know, KU had Remy Martin. And Remy Martin, before the Big 12 tournament, was just not playing that much, resting, not getting into the game. He was not active. And lo and behold, Remy Martin was one of the main reasons KU won a national championship in 2022. 
because he got healthy. He rested his knee. I don't think this Kansas team has the luxury as that team back with Ochai Abaji, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick, Dewan Harris. I don't think that team, you know, thought too much about that decision. I think it was, we need to have a good bench. Remy Martin's going to be coming off the bench. Let's make sure he's healthy. Kevin McCuller is the leading scorer for Kansas. So it's a tougher decision at the end of the day. A much tougher decision. But if this keeps going in a circle, this is just a cycle, uh, your hands might be tied here. You know, maybe it's not as simple as let's just rest him for the rest of the year because there's no guarantee that he's healthy for the Big 12 tournament. This is a week-to-week thing. Then this is just who Kevin McCuller is going to be for the remaining time in a Kansas uniform. He may play one game and then have to sit out the next. Or he may play two and then have to sit out the next two. You just hope by the time the NCAA tournament rolls around, Kansas gets a good draw, a good matchup. And we brought up Joe Lunardi's bracketology the other day. The region that Kansas was in, the West region, had a pretty favorable first weekend. But if Kevin McCuller can't be healthy for that, or he's not even close to a 90% and 95%, I have a hard time believing Kansas has the scoring to win that game. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. Kansas and Texas, tip-off at 5 p.m. Listen to pre- and post-game and play-by-play coverage over on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Brian Haney uh, and Greg Gurley, you know you can always uh, catch those those games on 810 on ESPN Wichita. Uh, not really a worry about that. Okay, time for some audio here. Bill Self took the podium the other day and had the chance uh, to break down this Kansas game, give a little bit of an update on his team and the health status, as I mentioned. Kevin McCuller is brought up here, but here is the head coach of the Kansas Jayhawks, Bill Self. All right, Shay, you have the microphone first. What a shock. <laughs> I just wanted to how, how good this week has been, and if you can just maybe... It's too early to say, because okay. we took Sunday off. We practiced Monday and Tuesday and off yesterday, so probably you know today and tomorrow will be our more of our Texas prep. Okay. But... Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, hopefully the guys are getting their legs back under them. And has Kevin any status update? Do you know if he'll be available Saturday? No, I do not know. Okay. He, hasn't, he hasn't done anything yet this week. Okay. So we'll probably wait and see if he's able to do anything today. Today we'll probably determine if he plays on Saturday as much as anything, but I probably won't tell you guys that. In terms of Monday and Tuesday practice, is that more like self-scout? Are you working on things? Yeah, just a regular focuses? practice. You know, we, you know, all the different things that we could do in a game or – or things that we need to work on, absolutely, yeah. And we know that in the wintertime, at least, you guys get a chance to practice more. Do you feel like this is a similar type of schedule, or is it different? No, it's hour, hour, hour and 15 minutes. No, this isn't anything like like uh, over the break or anything like that. No, this this is just try to get them off their feet as much as possible. Uh, when you have to deal with the challenge of playing, you mentioned the thing the other day about looking to see if a four or five man can shoot three is one of the first things you look at on a roster. Just what will it require out of your big men to, to deal with that sort of challenge against Texas? Well, you know, they have one guy that shoots a, quite a few, and he makes a lot of the ones he shoots. So, <coughs> so yeah, we got we got to come up with some way to stay connected and, and still yet do a good job on ball screen defense. I think we can – I think, you know, we, it's not the first time we've had to deal with that, but certainly DeSue shoots it. Probably this year he's shooting it probably about as well as – any big that I can remember shooting it over a course of a season. So, 
Yeah, he, you know, he, he's, a, he's a handful. Have you watched all the Big 12 action this week, and what do you think of Texas's guards? Well, I haven't. I, I, I've watched, uh, you know, games on Monday, and I forgot who played last night. Who played last night? Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State won at Cincinnati, but I didn't watch that game. Uh, 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 but watched uh, obviously some. Uh, uh, who was it? <coughs> Baylor at BYU, and then and then uh, Iowa State at Houston. So those those were two. You know, high-level games on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't watch them all. But Texas's guards, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're good. I mean, uh, you know, to, I'm a big fan of Tyrese. You know, we tried hard to get him here. You know, uh, uh, when he left Ames, and and uh, Max to me is one of the best scoring points or best scoring guards that we'll face all year long. So they're good. But the one guy I think that makes their team as much as anybody is, is uh, Weaver. I mean, he is a high-energy dude that uh, uh, can make a lot of plays in a lot of different ways and impact games. What do you see in the Big 12 standings, and are these two home games absolutely musts? Uh, I, think hold, I, I think in our situation, holding serve at home is, you know, really important. We don't, we don't, we don't have any margin for error, but I'm not looking at it the, the the way that maybe some people are looking at. It. I'm looking at hey, let's let, let let let's try to win one game at a time, and you know we can't control what other people do, and and uh, whatever happens happens. But as long as we take care of our business, you know we got a chance to have a really good year in our league. Now whether or not that means uh, uh, having a chance to play for you know anything of of uh, uh, the highest stakes against Houston. Uh, that remains to be seen. We better go four and zero if we're going to do that. But the best way to 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 uh, win them all is to win the first one. You know, if you don't win the first one, that certainly eliminates all those uh, uh, desires. So yeah, we're just we're just worried about Texas. I'm not worried about anything beyond that. Assuming everyone gets healthy, Bill. Looking back. It provided more minutes for Nick and El Marco. Uh, could that end up being a positive, the fact that you've got those guys extra minutes? I actually think it could. Uh, uh, you know, if you go back analytically, and if you guys studied it, uh, uh, when our five starters play together once league play has started, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, uh, when there's been one or two of the five not in, it hasn't been near as good as when it's been with the five in. Uh, Nick uh, uh, and Omarco, you know, we, we're not going to have uh, depth unless we can play them both. And, and, and that needs to occur. I actually think, you know, Nick hasn't shot it well, but his, his numbers are pretty good from a plus minus standpoint uh, when he's been in the game. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I think there's been some good things that's transpired. The, the, you know, the, those five playing together, uh, you know, it sounds easy. Your starters, you know, play, should play the best. Well, that's obvious, or they shouldn't be starting. I mean, that's so, so, so I, I totally get that. But the amount of minutes that starters actually play together in a game is minimal compared to what most people think it is. 
because you always have somebody that's subbed in. So, so you know, even if and we don't sub much, but but even if that number's 18 minutes, you know, whatever, that's still 22 minutes that it doesn't occur. So, so uh, you know, we got to we we got to have you know guys off the pine, uh, off the bench, uh, uh, come in and 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 and. and be positive contributors, which we've shown where we can be. We just haven't done it consistently. Hey, with, with Johnny, now that you've seen a prolonged period where he's been in this role, high minutes, all that, what do you like most about his game and what he brings for you guys? Well, I think he's just scratching the surface. I think he does everything pretty good. Uh, you know, he shoots it pretty well. He, he, uh, he runs in transition great. He's a good, you know, finish with either hand around the rim very well. I mean, he does a lot of good things. Uh, 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 I, 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 I love having him out there and, and uh, I think the players like playing with him. Um, you know, I, I still think he's a baby colt. You know, he's just finding his way. Uh, uh, but he's certainly, you know, he's, he's been he's been terrific for us. Is there one area of his game that's surprised you? He's exceeded maybe more, better than you thought he was. I think he's a much better rebounder than what I envisioned him being. I, th I think he's a much better loose ball guy than what I envisioned him being. <coughs> I think Hunter's gotten to the line a lot less frequently than he did in his time at Michigan. Just why do you think that is, and what do you think he can do to start getting to the line more? You want an honest opinion, or, sure. or, or, or do you want me to coach speak it? I, he just needs to play more physical and post up deeper and. And, and, and play through contact better. So uh, uh, that's what I would say. But, you know, if you look at it statistically, he hasn't been a high volume free throw shooter anywhere he's been compared to a lot. Like Kevin McCullough will shoot twice as many free throws or three times as many free throws on average in a game than Hunter will. And there's reasons for that. But Hunter, Hunter hasn't been a guy that has played near as close to the basket uh, uh, in many opportunities, because there's big bodies, strong bodies that you got to get through to get close to the basket. So, so, uh, uh, but you know, that's that's the way that it's just being it, the, the game. You know, a lot of it's on us. A lot of it's on maybe Hunter a little bit. You know, but but uh, the, the the physicality in the post play has been something that probably hasn't benefited uh, Hunter with free throw attempts. With three coaches ejected this year, has there been any, you know, talks with the head of the officials? Is this getting to a point where there has to be discussion between the coaches and Curtis? Because of ejections? Yeah, I mean, it shows that three yeah. powerful coaches have gotten upset enough to get ejected. Well, yeah, so, so, so uh, I haven't visited with one person from the conference office about that whatsoever. And I won't, I won't. Uh, 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 I'm not as interested in, in what happened at Houston or what happened at Baylor. I'm more interested in what happens with us. And, and uh, but I, I, I haven't made uh, a phone call to the conference office about what transpired on that, on that particular situation at all, nor will I. So, so nor have I talked to anybody. I wondered if you had an opinion on how quickly the NBA makes changes. Jacques Vaughn got fired after a real short period of time. Do you have an opinion on Jacques? Well, we all love Jacques. You know, I, I'm not in 
Brooklyn and I, I don't know what's happening firsthand or anything like that, but we all love Jacques and, and we want what's well for him. I hope he had a, a good contract. So, so that way he'll be fine regardless, uh, which I'm sure he did. But uh, I think, you know, when we, at that level, you know, it, it's uh, when somebody uh, uh, buys the franchise and pays $3 billion for it, you would think they probably have a little bit more clout in, in uh, what they think needs to be done. And, and, and when somebody has an investment like that, I would think the patience uh, uh, would probably be not quite as much if somebody didn't have near as much uh, <coughs> equity in, in your business. So, so uh, I, I think, I, I could be wrong, but I think those guys understand that there's two types, two types of coaches. And, and, and it's, it's that way for the most part in college too, but there's the ones that have been fired and the ones that haven't been fired yet. So, 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 and I, I think most of those guys in the NBA probably understand that. Anything else? Thanks, and there was Bill Self of the Kansas Jayhawks talking yesterday about this Texas game, the health of his team, and what you can expect moving forward. I think we have a little bit of time to hear briefly uh, what KJ Adams had to say uh, coming off. You know, a little bit better of a performance than we had seen over the last few weeks. It might be that uh, K.J. Adams could be pressing a little bit, trying to overcompensate with Kevin McCuller not being as healthy. Uh, but I did want to sneak in a little bit more audio uh, from K.J. Adams as he had the chance to talk to the media yesterday about this upcoming game against the Texas Longhorns. All right, K.J., just what's it been like this week not having a midweek game for the first time since the start of the year? Yeah, it's been it's been a little weird, I'm gonna lie. It's weird having this much time in between games and just kind of uh, trying to weigh out a fit practice and and still get a lot of stuff done during that long period of time. And then uh, just looking ahead, Texas and particularly the challenge that, that the big man presents to you guys. Just how do you approach that? Yeah, they have two big uh, big guys that one of them can shoot really well, so it's kind of hard, kind of figuring out how to guard both of them at the same time with me and Hunter on the floor. So it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge that we're going to have to figure out how to um, try to compete with. Could you, I know you guys have had the week off, so health-wise, how are you guys feeling? And how important is it to kind of get, get, sorry, get healthy during this key stretch? Yeah, it's um, it's been a good week off for a lot of people because uh, we, we get to have a lot of stuff done and just have a lot of rest. Um, health-wise, I think we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, I really don't know the extent of a lot of the guys, but for what I can understand, I feel like everybody's pretty good and um, have a pretty good understanding of what we got to do. And I know you guys have a handful of games left. What, what, what kind for you? What's been the seat? What's the season been like? And um, how do you want to finish down the stretch here? Yeah, of course. The Big Twelve is just a roller coaster of emotions. You up and downs. Having a couple losses during the way definitely hurts. But just trying to look through the future and just get ready for the Big Twelve tournament and just the couple of games we got left of the season. To build off the earlier question, just what's the week look like for you personally? What have you been up to? Yeah, really just trying to get my body healthy, doing a lot of ice baths, uh, stretching a lot. Um, just kind of taking a kind of a not a week off in a sense, but just kind of get my mind back centered to who I really am and just get ready for these next couple games. Yeah, and with, with this midweek off, at least, does it feel like a, a reset for the final kind of home stretch of the season? Yeah, definitely. This is a big this is a big step for us in the season. Just kind of reset and. Get a lot of stuff done practice-wise that we couldn't do when we have all those games stacked on each other. How much do you guys look at the race 
along the way or, or especially right now toward the end? Yeah, it, it's always a point of emphasis, but right now, I don't really think we're really looking at it too much, but it's definitely in the back of our minds. We're just trying to go game by game when any of this crazy conference anything really happens. So we're just going game by game, trying to win each game we can. Maybe in a more of an informal manner, do you, like when Houston just played Iowa State, I think it was Monday night, right? Do you, do you guys, as teammates, not maybe in a film setting or whatever, but just talk about that, like who you want to win, what what could help you guys, what could hurt you guys? I mean, does that come up just like sports fans? Yeah, of course. We're we're not just players. We're we're also like huge college basketball fans. So everybody watches basically every game there is on. So everybody was pretty excited to watch those two play, and um, Kansas State and Texas. So we were all just talking about those games and just uh, excited. And it's good to watch all everybody compete like that. Are you bummed you don't get to go down to Austin there last year in the league? I'm, I'm I am a little bummed. I, I did want to go home and play play them for uh, for one last time, but. It's all right. I get to. I get still get to play them here at home. So I think it'll all work out there. Any extra for you? I mean, it could be a while before KU and Texas play again. Does it add a little just for you personally this week? Uh, not really. Other than um, playing my best friend Brock Cunningham for the last time, we we've, we've been go way back. He's been my best friend for a while. Taught me a lot of things. So that'll probably be one of the emotional parts of that game when when we play. Are you looking at these two games as must wins because? You know, then you got to go on the road again. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say must wins, but yes, we would like to win all the games that we played. Um, every game right now is is getting bigger and bigger, so we definitely got to just look ahead for this game and then focus on the rest later. What was the team reaction after the OU win? It'd been a while since you won a road game. Yeah, it was definitely ecstatic. Um, we haven't really had that that much luck on the road, so just getting that one, I think brought a lot of confidence to that we can win on the road and hopefully we can do that more in the future. KJ, can I ask, now that you have, you're approaching this, the real heart of the season now as a veteran this time around, and you, you mentioned using this week off to, to get your mind right in a way. Uh, now that you have some experience dealing with this stretch, from here on out, until the season's done, it's gonna be nonstop, go, go, go. Were you, did you approach this week consciously Knowing what was to come to to get your to get your mind fresh, and not not just everyone healing up ankles and knees and stuff. But w was this a conscious effort on your on your part, on the leadership part, to to say let's let's get a, a clear mind because this is the last chance? Yes, of course, especially during this long stretch. Uh, coach likes to call these the dog days, where teams really are to get a little fatigued, uh, people's minds get a little out of the place. So just. Um, just getting back together and everybody centered and a good week of practice really can help a team during the long run. So I think we're just using that to our advantage as much as we can, hopefully for the next couple of games. KJ, what else stands out to you about Texas and what they bring to the table? Yeah, they have Max, who's in, what is it, ninth overall score in the NCAA. So you, you definitely just have to watch him when he plays. And then you have Dylan Dessou playing off him. So just those two guys and you have people that really just play hard and play the right way. So you just have a lot of threats that you have to really hound down on defense. So our really practice we've just been doing is just playing defense, trying to uh, simulate as much as we can of them. KJ, with this week, obviously off, have you kind of feel yourself a little rejuvenated? Do you feel like almost beginning of the season a little bit? Yeah, of course. I, I definitely feel um, more refreshed. I feel um, definitely like I can um, have my legs back a little bit. I, 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 I know the guys feel the same way. So just, I think everybody's pretty back and just ready for this game against Texas.
Yeah, and just with Kevin, you know, kind of rehabbing and getting recovered for his injury, have you seen him look more normal in this week compared to like even last week or before the game? Yeah, Kev Kevin, um, he really doesn't show too much because he's he's always just trying to be that even kill guy. So mm -hmm. I really can't really tell a difference with him because he's always pretty consistent with all that stuff. And there was K.J. Adams of the Kansas Jayhawks ahead of the game against Texas tomorrow night, 5 p.m. tip-off. Of course, you can listen to that on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It's also broadcasted on ESPN Wichita if you are uh, going to be out driving or just wanting to listen to the game in your own house if you're not going to watch it on TV. Okay, we'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, some NFL talk right here on The Shift. Welcome back in to The Shift on ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host and producer today, Jack Johnson. I think there is this common misperception in the NFL, and I think it's what leads to a lot of teams' struggles. I'm not saying that if I was a general manager, I would be perfect. If I was in a front office, I would be perfect. I'd have all the answers. I'm not saying any of that, because uh, the reality is, even the best ones will make bad decisions. Even the best ones will figure out a way to screw something up. I think we all are fully aware that this league is based off quarterback play. You can build a great defense. You can have a great coach. You cannot be a Super Bowl contender without a Tier 1 or Tier 2 quarterback. And the reason I have to factor in Tier 2 quarterback is because you know, Brock Purdy and Jared Goff were in the NFC Championship game. I do not consider them the elite of the elite, but they're also in that Tier 2 range. It always amazes me that when a front office is building a roster, when they are building a team and they are trying to fix the holes, or remember for years in the AFC West, or at least a couple years into the Patrick Mahomes era, every single AFC West team had a different way to approach beating the Chiefs. You know, the Chargers tried to load up offensively. We're going to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. We're going to try to outscore them because the reality is you can't build a defense to stop Patrick Mahomes. Then the Broncos took on this approach of we're going to build a defense that he's not comfortable facing. And we feel like when we play him, uh, we hold him to at most you know, 24 points. And if we can just get a good enough quarterback, uh, we can beat Patrick Mahomes with that good of a defense. And the Raiders uh, tried to do a little bit of the same thing last year. Now, they succeeded. It also took two defensive touchdowns uh, to beat the Chiefs on Christmas Day at Arrowhead Stadium. But this is not about the AFC West. This is about the NFL as a whole. And I think how this offseason is going to be approached by a lot of teams. And a lot of them are going to approach it the wrong way. Uh, there are too many teams in the NFL that believe building the pieces around the quarterback is what is going to make you a Super Bowl contender. And I almost think Brock Purdy getting to an NFC Championship game gives too much hope to a lot of teams out there that are never going to reach a Super Bowl. This is a quarterback league. There is a reason the Chiefs won back-to-back -back Super Bowls. You can factor in Andy Reid. Uh, you can talk about the offense they had last year. You can talk about the defense they had this year. That's all fine and dandy, and those groups deserve their flowers. But this league is won by quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are what drives the ratings. They are what makes this league grow. 
when you break down a team, the first thing you go to is quarterback. It's a natural thing in our brain. When you look at an opponent on paper, you go, who's their quarterback? Okay, I either feel good or bad about this game. And I especially go to the AFC side and why I think a lot of AFC teams are going to screw this up. The AFC, unlike the NFC, was loaded with quarterback play. Absolutely loaded. No way around it. I mean, the playoffs was a gauntlet. The only team that didn't have a quarterback, really, was Pittsburgh. And they are a perfect example of what I'm going to bring up. I really like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I do. More often than not, I take them to pull off an upset at home. I know that's kind of a specific example, but, you know, we've run the spread here numerous times. We run the spread a lot. And Pittsburgh was one of my sneaky picks of, oh, yeah, you have to go into Pittsburgh. You have to beat that defense. You have to beat Mike Tomlin. That's fine. Regular season, have whatever quarterback you want, to be honest with you. That's, that's where I'm at. You can win 10 games with an average quarterback or with three or four different quarterbacks. But on the AFC side, I forgot actually to add in one team there, Cleveland. Cleveland was a team that had one of the best defenses in the NFL. Do you think it's any coincidence that Cleveland and Pittsburgh got trounced in the first round, the wild card round by a team with a good quarterback? It's what drives the league. C.J. Stroud has now entered that Tier 2 level. There are still other pieces to go. You got to, you know, build, you know, through that quarterback now. You know, I, I said build around a quarterback early. What I should have said is you're starting from the outside. Like, I always believe it's like building a house uh, when you're trying to reconstruct a team. New England is going to have to reconstruct. I'm not going to say Carolina has because they've got Bryce Young. However... Their process was correct, and there's still years to go. Bryce Young could be a good quarterback. It's like building a house. You don't start by just you know, building the outside part of it. you got to build the foundation first. got to get your core piece, what will put everything in place. The quarterback is that. That's why I've always thought it's funny when teams are drafting and it's, it's going after skill position players. They're going after a lineman. Uh, they're going after a running back. They're going after a defense. And I'm all for drafting the best guy available. But if teams want to get serious about contending, which is why I think Houston is like the model right now for teams that are rebuilding this year, you got to get your quarterback first. It does not matter who your left tackle is if you do not have a quarterback. And now, of course, I could hear the rebuttal of, well, what happens if you've got a great quarterback and no left tackle? I, I get it. I get it. There's going to be issues. But by far and away, the most important thing an NFL needs now, an NFL team needs now, is a quarterback, a franchise quarterback. Easier said than done, of course. But I'm amazed by how many teams in this league try to get by with mediocre quarterback play. Quarterback play that is not going to win them a Super Bowl. I understand it is really hard to find the next Patrick Mahomes the next Josh Allen, the next Joe Burrow, the next Lamar Jackson. Teams are going to try. They're going to try. However, there's so many teams that are not. They are going to think what San Francisco did is a model. Hey, Brock Purdy was a, was Mr. Irrelevant. He's not an uber-talented quarterback, but Kyle Shanahan made it work. They are the anomaly, in my opinion. They really are. 
Detroit, a little bit of an anomaly itself. But I also think Jared Goff deserves his flowers. He's been to a Super Bowl. He was a great young quarterback. He was a 1-1 pick. Like You could definitely make the argument that was a franchise quarterback and still is for the Detroit Lions. But looking at this draft, and the reason I wanted to discuss this today is I'm amazed by how many teams are just going to pass on a quarterback. They aren't going to make the play for a quarterback. They're not going to trade up for a quarterback. This is a good quarterback class. I like Caleb Williams. I like Drake May. Um, I do like a little bit lower than number three overall for New England and Jaden Daniels. I'm not a fan of J.J. McCarthy. I like Michael Penix. I just don't know about how his health is going to translate at the NFL level. But I'm amazed that teams don't try everything to trade up and go get their quarterback. You know, Houston being able to snag the the defensive rookie of the year, Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud in one draft class, like that's unbelievable. In my opinion, that was one of the best draft moves I had seen in the last decade. You know, going back to, you know, biased opinion here, but the Chiefs trading up for Patrick Mahomes. But that's kind of the point here. Even when you think you're okay, you're getting by, you got to know what it takes to win a Super Bowl. And, and Kansas City identified that. They knew Alex Smith was a good quarterback. They knew Alex Smith was going to win them a lot of football games. He was going to win them a lot of division titles. He was not going to take them to a Super Bowl. He wasn't. And San Francisco also realized that with Alex Smith. And they decided to go with Colin Kaepernick. Now, other things happened, and that didn't last as long as maybe people thought it would. But in the NFL, I'm amazed more teams don't do that. Start trying to find their franchise quarterback. Hell, Green Bay kind of did. And you know I'm not super high on Green Bay, or I wasn't in the regular season, but they identified that Jordan Love could be their next guy, even though Aaron Rodgers was still their quarterback. They knew a day was coming which Rodgers wasn't going to be there anymore. There's so many teams in this league that have mediocre quarterback play and are going to stay with it because they're too scared to fail, to bottom out. They're scared that if they trade away a Kirk Cousins, a Dak Prescott, and you know that I am I'm high on the Dallas Cowboys, I am high on Dak Prescott, but he's also got uh, pretty much of a giant sample size that he has not been able to get this team to the Super Bowl. That is factual. And at the end of the day, do regular season wins matter if you lose in the first or second round of the playoffs? I don't think it really does. Not when you're dealing with that for years on end. I mean, it was no shock to me whatsoever. The division winners in the AFC all had Tier 1 and Tier 2 quarterbacks. And C.J. Stroud is right on the cusp of Tier 1, in my opinion. Lamar, Allen, Mahomes, C.J. Stroud, all division winners. And then you have the 5, 6, and 7 seed. Joe Flacco, Tua Tungaviola, Mason Rudolph. All of those teams got embarrassed in the wildcard weekend. Absolutely embarrassed. And then you go a little bit further down the list. Cincinnati, I'll throw them out. Joe Burrow got hurt. Jacksonville. You know, I think Jacksonville at some point in time, probably after this year, will have a decision to make. Is Trevor Lawrence really the franchise quarterback that you thought he was? If he's not, it's time to make some moves. You know, Indianapolis, uh, they're very fresh into the era of Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson deserves a little bit more time, but it was a good move to go after a quarterback in that position. The Raiders, we talked about the Raiders a little bit the other day. 
The Raiders have Aiden O'Connell. You run it back with Aiden O'Connell, don't talk to me about your defense. Don't talk to me about your offensive weapons. I don't want to hear it. You're not going to go far in the playoffs with a mediocre to below-average quarterback. No, Denver. Probably not going to be Russell Wilson, but what's your move? If it's not going to be Russell Wilson, you need to find a way to trade up and get yourself a franchise quarterback. Not sit back and wait for J.J. McCarthy or Michael Penix. You need to get, go get one of those top three if you can. There's nobody out there in free agency that is a franchise quarterback. They're in a tough spot. The Jets have Aaron Rodgers. Who knows what Rodgers are going to look like, look like coming off an Achilles injury. Then you go to Tennessee. Will Levis is young, new into his career. I'm not sold he's a franchise quarterback. Chargers have Herbert. They've got the quarterback. They've done it right. They just can't stay healthy and can't build around him. And New England has nothing. You know, on the NFC side, that's where it gets a lot, a lot more difficult to make this argument, but I still can try to make it. You know, the division winners this year, Purdy, Prescott, Goff, Mayfield. Wild card teams, Hurts, Stafford, Love. In fact, there was more quarterback talent in the wild card, wild card region here than the division winners. But I look at some of these Tier 1 and Tier 2 quarterbacks, I'm not even sold there was a Tier 1 in the NFC side. It was a bunch of Tier 2 and Tier 3 guys. But when it was all said and done, who was the one hoisting the Lombardi Trophy? The Tier 1 quarterback. It sounds simple. It's really not. But I also don't understand teams that just sit by. Sit by and don't try to make that big move and why it's now taken so long. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has won now back-to-back Super Bowls in three and five years and two MVPs. That is, you know, the the one-off here. He's the most decorated quarterback of this era. But I look at teams like Seattle, New Orleans, Minnesota, Atlanta. Um, I look at somebody on the AFC side, like a Cleveland, like a Pittsburgh, uh, like a Jacksonville, and I, or a Denver, a Raiders, and go, what's the plan? Do you honestly believe you can get to a Super Bowl and win it without a Tier 1 quarterback? It, it's harder now than ever to win with a Tier 2 or Tier 3 quarterback. Because when the cards are down, when it's at its toughest point of the game, you have to put the ball in the hands of somebody that's special, that can take you to the next level. A lot of these teams are too afraid to bottom out. They want to keep the guy who will keep winning them uh, 10, 11, 12 games, and if they don't make it far, hey, at least we were competitive, we won a lot of games and gave ourselves a chance. Because they'll try to... You know, have that saying, which is a true saying. You get in the playoffs, anything can happen. But we've also seen a little bit more of a repeat now. Tier 1 quarterbacks find a way to win. Matt Stafford, I believe, is a Tier 2, but also deserves his respect from time to time time of being a Tier 1. The last couple Super Bowls, right? Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford. A little bit of a trend here. Teams that are trying to rebuild have to get the quarterback first, then go get the help for him. It may not always work out smoothly or perfectly, but I'm amazed at these teams that just refuse to go out there and try to upgrade at the quarterback position. 10 or 11 wins and first-round exits don't really matter at the end of it. Okay, before we wrap up our show, we are going to talk a little bit of baseball to close out the week on ESPN Kansas City. We are wrapping up the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host and producer today, Jack Johnson. 
Well, for the next near 200 days, you are going to have Royals baseball. It's officially back. First pitch today at 2.05 p.m. Central Time. I'll give you a quick rundown here of the lineup as the Royals take on the Texas Rangers, who they share a complex with down in Surprise, Arizona. Leading off in Game 1 of the Cactus League schedule for Kansas City will be one of their newest players in Garrett Hampson, the speedster coming over from Miami. He will play shortstop today. Batting second and playing first base will be Vinny Pasquintino coming off his shoulder surgery. Uh, excited to see what he looks like in the two-hole. Batting third and playing left field, the powerful Nelson Velasquez. In the cleanup spot and playing second base will be Michael Massey. Batting fifth and DHing today will be Nick Lofton. Batting sixth and center field will be Drew Waters. Batting seventh and playing third base, a minor league free agent deal in Mike Brosseau, a former uh, World Series hero, an ALCS hero for the Tampa Bay Rays back in the COVID uh, postseason. Batting eighth and playing right field, Tyler Gentry. Batting ninth and doing the catching, Sandy Leone. And pitching, game one in the Cactus League schedule for the Royals will be Daniel Lynch. The available pitchers today uh, on the left side or left-handed pitchers will be Jake Brents, Sam Long, Walter Pennington, and Christian Chamberlain. And the right-handers available today will be Tyler Duffy, Matt Sauer, Mason Barnett, Will Klein, and Steven Cruz. Again, first pitch today will be at 2.05 at Surprise Stadium, Royals Rangers, Kansas City taking on the reigning World Series champions. I think spring training is comical in the way that we approach it, and I've done it every single year, so I'm not going to sit here and talk down to people who do this. Spring training's funny because we're hypocrites with it. We don't really pick a side on what spring training means for a team. Like I believe last year the Royals' spring training squad was great in terms of win-loss record. They won a lot of games. And then that team lost 106. There's a lot of great teams that will be terrible in spring training. Just because you're working on a lot of stuff, you may get out to a hot start, then blow a seven-run lead because you've got minor leaguers playing at that point. Uh, The hilarious part of this all is that we only want to take into account the good stats and say, oh, that means something. right? This guy is playing well because he's going to be great. Uh, this upcoming regular season. And then the bad numbers, we're like, oh, don't pay attention to that. It's spring training. <laughs> there, There is such a fine line that divides those two schools of thought. And we hop back and forth. At least I do. I do it all the time. Somebody plays well. I go, well, obviously. I mean, they're still playing baseball. These games matter to them. It matters to some of these guys. But in the end, it really doesn't. <laughs> There's a lot of guys that hit well in spring training because the weather's nice and they're not facing that grade of competition. The most important thing about spring training is health. That is all that matters. The Royals could lose every single spring training game and then have one of their best seasons in the last five years. That is a very possible situation. Now, they're likely not going to lose every single spring training game because there's going to be a lot of teams that just play terribly when facing the Royals. But that is the hilarious part about spring training. It just doesn't matter. It's baseball. It's cool to watch. I'm a huge baseball guy. Baseball is my favorite sport. But it's just scrimmaging. It's just practicing. 
you can be the Cactus League MVP and be DFA'd by May. Uh, that uh, That is the funniest part about spring training. None of it really matters. None of it matters. The only thing that does is health, and I can't emphasize that enough. Sure, position battles, it, it's something to go off of. You know, if you have a guy that's competing his tail off, he hits 400 and the starter's hitting a buck 60, it may force you to make a decision. However, if both guys are healthy, I don't think you need to change your opinion. The Royals have made some bad decisions before based off spring training. I think you just have who you have in mind. You have your opening day lineup, and if those guys are healthy, you roll with that. Well, that's going to do it for our week here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I have been your host and producer today, Jack Johnson. You missed any part of our show, you can always go check it out on our podcast page. And not to worry, because we're going to have that uploaded here in about five minutes or so. But Jake will be back on early next week. I'm not going to say Monday, but until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.